0: Thank you, Tyler, and uh, Will and Blaine. Thank you all for being here today. Good to see them up there. I haven't seen them all together in a long time. We'll take your Bible this morning and turn, if you will, to the Gospel of John, John chapter 20. And I want to share with you this morning a message that I've entitled Wonderful Words of Life. Wonderful Words of Life. In the book of Proverbs, the Bible tells us that life and death are in the power of Of the tongue. And we've all both been uh, on the receiving end and most likely on the giving end of a good tongue lashing. And we all know that words can have a great effect upon us, either for good or for evil. And that's what Proverbs was talking about. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And Jesus said something when he was walking the earth. He said, The flesh doesn't profit anything. But the words that I speak, Jesus said the words that I speak, they are spirit and they are life. Jesus spoke words of life. And as He walked the earth and He preached and He spoke, He spoke words of life. But this morning, as we think about the resurrection on this Easter morning, I want us to notice some words of life that Jesus spoke after He came out Of the tomb. And if you look in John chapter 20, verse 11, I'm going to share with you five times that Jesus met with some of his disciples, people who had believed in him, but yet after his crucifixion, they had reached a low point in their life. And Jesus came and met them and gave them a word of life. Have you ever been in a bad place and somebody? Well, nowadays they text you, right? They can text you. Or they send you a card. Or maybe they give you a phone call or you run into them somewhere. And maybe they don't even know it, but they say something that really impacts you, that changes the direction of your life. That's what happened these five times as we open up the scripture and we notice the resurrected Jesus who meets a person, five different people. And He gives them a word of life. The first thing I want us to notice in John chapter 20 is Jesus gives a word of life to a weeping woman. He gives a word of life to a weeping woman. If you look there in John chapter 20 and verse number 11, the Bible says, But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, "Rabbi," which is to say, teacher. There Jesus, the resurrected Lord... Mary Magdalene. Now you've heard a little bit about Mary Magdalene. We don't know a lot about Mary Magdalene. What we do know, the Bible says that Jesus cast seven demons out of Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene, some people say she was the woman called in adultery, but there's no way to know that for sure. That's just people who are making a, a, a supposition or an educated guess. We don't know. What we do know was she was a woman who lived a tortured existence. The Bible says she had seven demons. Now one demon would be enough, but seven. And by the way, numbers are fascinating in the Bible. If you ever do a study in the Bible and you look at the significance of numbers, and seven is a number of perfection. And when it said she had seven demons, then you could bet you could say that she was perfectly evil. She was uh, she was held up. I didn't know what she was doing back there, Tyler, but she was starting to worry me. I didn't know what was going to happen. <laughs> And then I heard that racket, and I didn't know what it is. I thought you'd turn me off for a minute. Okay. Uh, seven demons. She was perfectly, perfectly evil. So here this woman, Mary Magdalene, had met Jesus, and Jesus had given her freedom. He had given her freedom from that life of torture that she lived. And yet this Jesus that she thought was going to be her salvation and her hope, there she sees that he's crucified. He's crucified and he's gone. In her mind, all of the hope that she had has vanished. And she is a woman who is destroyed. She is weeping there at the tomb. All she can do is pay some respect to Jesus. She's going to go there the first day of the week, Sunday. She's going to try to, uh, you know do what they couldn't do on the, as the Sabbath was approaching when He was crucified. And as she's approaching there, suddenly He's gone. She doesn't know what to do. And I love how when, when Mary is weeping and Jesus says, Woman, why are you weeping? She looks and she thinks that... He's the gardener and she says, you know, if you're the one that took the body away, please tell me what you did with the body. I'll get it back where it needs to go. Just tell me what you did with him. I love this man. He was my Savior and I want his body to be at rest. And if you ever tried to wake somebody up or, or you saw someone you knew but they didn't see you and you call out their name and you, it's a name inviting recognition or maybe you have a loved one that's sick Maybe they're, you know, they're in a coma or they're somehow they're not responsive, and you go up to them and, and you call their name. And what you're looking for is recognition. As you call their name, you know that person knows you. And it's interesting to me that Jesus, that's the word he gave to Mary. He simply said, Mary. And suddenly she looked and she realized it was Jesus And the word that Jesus gave to a weeping woman, Jesus gave Himself. And when we are at a place where we are sorrowful and we are hurting, there is no better word that Jesus can give is to simply, in the Spirit, to call our name and to let us know that He knows us by name. You know, I'm terrible with names. I admit it is a terrible problem that I have. Uh, I call my wife my oldest sister's name a lot of times. I'm just, glad, I'm just glad it's not one of my former girlfriends or I wouldn't have a wife. Well, I could take the plural off of that and say my former girlfriend. I didn't have, I didn't, I didn't have very many. But, uh, but I, I tell you, I am terrible with names. But it means something. It means something when someone calls you by name. They don't just say, hey, you. You know, hey, you over there. They call you by name and it's an act of recognition. And Jesus called Mary. Remember her background. She was filled with seven demons. She was a woman who had problems. But Jesus reached out to this woman and He delivered her from all her demons. And He gave her a new life. And there as He was the resurrected Lord, He called out her name. He spoke a word of life to a weeping woman a woman full of sorrow, a woman who was depressed, a woman who was hurting, and He gave her Himself. He gave her Himself. He gave hope to her. Well, He spoke a second word over in Luke chapter 24. In Luke chapter 24 He speaks a second word. It is a word to the weary. A word to the weary. You've heard of the Emmaus Road, the disciples who were on the Emmaus Road and Jesus, again, this is after the resurrection. He makes an appearance to these disciples. And let's just see what Luke tells us about this occurrence there in verse 13 of chapter 24. He says, Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? And one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? By the way, when the Lord asks a question, he's not looking for information. You remember, he asked Mary, Woman, why are you weeping? He knew why she was weeping. This is Jesus. He knows why these men are sad. And often, you know, the Lord will ask us a question. Maybe it's through a message or through a Bible verse or through our spirit. A question is asked. God knows the answer. He's not looking for information. He's wanting us to to express and to understand what the problem is. And so Jesus says, What things? And they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all of the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to a village where they were going, and he indicated that he would continue further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent, And he went in to stay with them. And it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? Jesus meets a group of men who are weary, two men who are weary. These men, again, believed in Jesus. They followed Jesus. They say to, although they didn't know it was Jesus, they say to this supposed stranger they meet on the road, we had hoped that this Jesus would be the Messiah who would deliver Israel and would be the promised king that the Bible has spoken of. But, alas, our hopes were dashed. He's been crucified. Obviously, he must not have been the one And so here we are, we're just sad and we're weary and and we had all of our hopes up. We were walking a path we thought was the right path and now we don't know. We just don't know what to do. We're weary in the Spirit. We're ready to just quit. What was the word of life that Jesus gave to the weary? The Bible says, beginning at Moses and all of the prophets, He expounded, He explained to them all the things concerning the Messiah and he, how He was prophesied that He would come and He would be rejected. He would, he would suffer and He would die and then enter into His glory. So what did Jesus give these men who were weary? The word of life that He gave them was the Scripture. The Scripture expounded in the Spirit and explained and illuminated by the power of the Spirit. For the woman who was weeping, He gave her Himself. For the men who were weary, he gave them the scripture, the word of God. The word of God, my friend, is alive. The facts, it is not simply a book of facts and a book of history. This is not a history book. This is not a book about people that lived thousands of years ago, although it contains facts and it contains history and it tells us about people who lived a long, long time ago. This is a living book. It is a book that is a spiritual book. You cannot understand this book if you read it only with your mind. It only makes sense when you read it with your soul. When you read it with your spirit, illuminated by the Spirit of God. Only then does the Bible come alive. And it is a Bible, it is a book that will change you when you trust in the living words of that book. To these men who were weary... These men who were weary, Jesus spoke a word of life, and that word of life was the word of Scripture illuminated by His interpretation and by the Holy Spirit. Jesus gave them a word of life. Well, He gave a third word to someone else. If you look over in John chapter 20, John chapter 20, and back there to verse 19, you've got the disciples, they are fearful. And they are afraid. They have gathered in a room and we could say that they are weak. We've met a weeping woman. Jesus gave a word of life to her. He gave Himself. We met some weary men. Jesus gave a word of life to them. He gave them the Scripture. And now we're going to meet some weak men. These disciples, they are afraid. They are fearful. What is Jesus going to give them? Notice in verse 19. Then the same day at evening... Being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus gives a word of life to the weak. They're so weak, they're hiding. You know weak people don't hide. I'm sorry. Strong people don't hide. Weak people do hide. If you're afraid, you hide. If you're not afraid, you don't hide. And these men were weak. They were weak. They were fearful. They had they had saw what happened to Jesus and now they were afraid that was going to happen. To them. What did Jesus, what word of life did He give these men who were afraid of suffering? They were afraid of death. They were afraid that what happened to Jesus might happen to them. Do you notice what He did? Do you notice what He gave them? The Bible says He comes in and He says, Peace be unto you, but He does something else. The Bible says He showed them His hands and His side, He showed them His suffering. Now that seems like that would be counterproductive. You're trying to to encourage someone and they're afraid that what happened to you is going to happen to them. You come in, show them what happened to you. Here's the wounds. Here's what happened to me. But that is, as a matter of fact, God, you remember the Bible is, is so full of examples of how God's kingdom is upside down from the world's kingdom. What did Jesus say? If you want to be first, you have to be last. If you want to be master of all, you need to be servant of all. If you want to live, then you must die. And here Jesus says, if you want to have courage, I'm going to show you what happens if you're obedient to me. In Romans chapter 12, there's a famous passage speaking about encouraging those believers who were facing persecution. And the Bible says to consider him who suffered such contradiction of sinners against himself so that you might have courage to face it. In other words, what Jesus did for those who were weak, the word of life that he gave them, he showed them his suffering. You know, I love to read Corey ten Boone. And many of you, some of you younger people, may not remember Corey ten Boone. She was a, uh, a Dutch Christian who hid Jews during the Holocaust. And, Called the hiding place, they had a special hiding place in their home, and and eventually her family was found out by the Nazis, and they were arrested. And her, she was a uh, a woman who she had never married. Her sister were not were not married either, and uh, they lived with their father. Their father was old. He died shortly after the arrest. Her sister, her and her sister were very close, and in that Nazi concentration camp, her sister got sick, and her sister died, and. Uh, Corey Ten Boone, you wouldn't know it by reading her books that she, she wrote after the war but during her, her stay in the concentration camp she shared how she would get very angry at her captors and she would have a lot of hatred toward her captors and, and, and Betsy, her sister, would say "Corey, we must not hate we must not hate, we must love and how she would think, Betsy, you make me so mad yes, we must hate you know, we must hate, we must get revenge for what they are doing to us. And, and Betsy would say, no, we must love Betsy, we must love our enemies. And of course, Betsy died in the concentration camp. But Corrie Ten Boone lived, and in some of her writings, she talks about one of the encouragements, the encouragement, some of the things that encouraged her in that camp was thinking about the suffering of Jesus. And my friend, you may not think it, but Jesus comes to those who are fearing death and are fearing suffering. And Jesus says, listen, I have crossed the river of death. I have faced death. I have suffered. If I have suffered, you may suffer. But take heart, be encouraged. I suffered and I was victorious over it. And He promises us, you may suffer, but through Jesus Christ, you will be victorious. You are more than a conqueror through Him that loved you. So Jesus gave a word of life to the weak. To the weak disciples hiding in an upper room, he came and he showed them his hands and he showed them his side. And the Bible says they were glad when they saw the Lord. You know, the Bible says we don't have a high priest that cannot be touched with our infirmities. You know, sometimes it can be a little frustrating if you're having a problem. And uh, sometimes it's somebody like me, maybe a preacher, you know, we say, well, I know how you feel. uh, I'm praying for you. And you know, you're laying there, you're sitting there and You're thinking, no, you don't know how I feel. I don't think you've ever had this happen to you. Well, my friend, that's what the Bible's talking about when it says Jesus is not a high priest who cannot be touched with our infirmities, but it was in every way tempted or tried, even as we are. So the picture is that Jesus has suffered and He knows how to help those of us who are suffering. Jesus is the man of sorrows. He is one who can suffer. He is one who knows what it is to weep and to suffer and he comes to the ones who are weak and he gives them the word of life through his suffering. Well, someone else he speaks to over in John chapter 20, just a few verses down in verse number 24. The Bible says, now Thomas, called the twin, one of the 12, was not with him, was not with them when Jesus came. The, the other disciples therefore said to him, "We have seen the Lord." So he said to them, "'Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails "'and put my finger into the print of the nails "'and put my hand into his side, I will not believe.' And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, "'Peace to you.' And he said to Thomas, "'Reach your finger here and look at my hands.' and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, believe because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus gave a word of life to the one who was wavering. What was the word of life that he gave to the wavering soul, Thomas, who wavered in his faith, he says, I, "I, I'm, you know, you've got to prove it to me." I think Thomas could have been from Missouri, the Show Me State. He said, "You got to show me. You got to show me for me to believe. You've got to show it to me." And Jesus comes, and Jesus does just that. Jesus says, "Here, Thomas." Put your finger in the nail print. Here, Thomas, thrust your arm, th- thrust your hand into my side where the spear went. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. My friend, I believe that if you are a, what I would call an honest doubter, you know, there's an honest doubter and a dishonest doubter. An honest da- doubter, he doesn't know because he doesn't know. A dishonest doubter doesn't know because he doesn't want to know. It's kind of like two guys looking for the policeman. There's one guy that can't find the policeman because he can't find one. Then there's a guy that just robbed the bank. He can't find the policeman because he's not looking for the policeman. He's, not, he's afraid to find the policeman. Well, there's an honest doubter who says, you know, I don't know if Jesus is really real or not. He might be, but I'm not sure. Actually, I would like to believe, but I'm just not sure I can believe. That's an honest doubt. And I believe if an honest doubter comes to God and says, Lord... I don't know if you're really true but I want to know if you really are who you say you are if Jesus really is the Son of God if He really is born of a virgin if He really did die on a cross for my sins if He really did lay in the ground for three days and come out of that tomb on the third day Lord, reveal that to me show that to me and if that is true I will follow you. You know what Jesus did to Thomas? For the word of life He gave him He gave him a sign. He showed him that he was who he said he was. Now, I believe God will give you... Now, you say, well, preacher, you're saying God's going to come down from heaven or send an angel? No, I didn't say that, but I'm saying that if you seek the Lord, the Bible says, seek me and you will find me. Knock and it will be open." That if you're honest with God and you say, Lord... Show yourself to me. I really want to know if you are who you say you are and I will follow you. Lord, show me. I believe that God will reveal Himself to you. That God will show you that He really is who He claimed to be. You know, in the mind, your mind is not your problem, by the way, before we move on. The Bible says the fool has said in his blank, there is no God. Anybody remember? The fool has said in his mind, in his heart, The seat of unbelief is not the intellect. It's not that God hasn't proven himself to you. The seat of unbelief is the heart. You see, the problem with me believing in God is God has one idea of how I need to live my life and I have another. And if I say that I believe in God, then I am obligated to follow the idea that God has for my life and not the idea that I have for my life. And so, keep that in mind when we think about doubt. And here, again, an honest doubter truly doesn't know and he wants to know. A dishonored honest doubter doesn't want to know and he looks for reasons not to believe so that he can excuse himself from the judgment and the authority of God. So, God spoke to the wavering man and he gave him a sign. Well, lastly... He spoken to the weeping woman and he gave her himself. He spoke to the weary men and he gave them the scriptures. He spoke to the weak men and he showed him his own suffering. He spoke to the wavering disciple and he gave him a sign. And now he speaks to the witnesses. Those that would be witnesses to Jesus. Over in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1. And beginning in verse number 1, and as you know, Luke is the author of Acts. He continues his uh, story of the life of Jesus and begins to a story of the early church. And he says, The former account I made, O Theopolis, talking about the book of Luke, of all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive, After his suffering by many infallible proofs. There's some of those signs I mentioned. Being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Jesus gave a word a word of life to those who would be His witnesses. If you're here today and you are a Christian, you have confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you have confessed with your mouth that He is your Lord and you are attempting to live for Him, then this word is definitely for you. He gives a word to those who would be His witnesses and the word of life that he gave them is none other than the Spirit himself. The Holy Spirit is, is the power that God has given the church to reach a lost world. It is not the intellect of the leaders of the church. Well, you know that if you remember here. That's another one of my jokes that didn't quite make it. It's not the intellect of the church. It's not our talent. It's certainly not our good looks. I mean, it's none of the things that the world looks for in terms of how can we make a good impression upon our target audience. How can we attract people to our target audience? If we as the church begin to look at that, we're, we're going astray. The power of the church is the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the power of the church. It is the power that God has given you and me and every believer. And that is to be filled with and controlled by and led by the Holy Spirit. You can't live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. You can't overcome temptation without the Holy Spirit. You can't be a witness to your family and to your co-workers and to strangers on the street without the Holy Spirit. Words of life. Wonderful words of life. used to be an old hymn we used to sing. Sing them over again to me. Wonderful words of life. Let me more of their beauty see. Wonderful words of life. Jesus gave them after His resurrection. To a weeping woman, He gave a word of life. He gave Himself. To a weary group of men, He gave them the Scripture illuminated by the Spirit. To the weak, He gave them His suffering. To the wavering, He gave a sign. And to the witnesses, those who would be the witnesses of His coming and of His gospel, He gave them the Spirit. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father right now making intercession for you and me. And He is still giving out words of life. Words of life to you and words of life to me. And I pray that you will receive the words of life that Jesus gives. Maybe you're like Mary. Maybe you're weeping. Maybe you're like Thomas. Maybe you're wavering. Maybe you're like the disciples on the Emmaus Road. You're weak or weary. Or maybe you just feel like you don't have the ability to witness. Jesus has a word of life. A word of life for you and a word of life for me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. For the resurrection of Jesus. For Lord, we know that if Jesus is not risen, then nothing really matters. But if Jesus is truly risen from the grave, then nothing else really matters. And Father, we believe that He is risen based on the Word of Scripture and the witness of the Spirit, and God, the witness of what the resurrected Lord has done in our lives and in the lives of people that we know. And God, we pray for everyone here, especially for those this morning who may be struggling under a burden. Father, they're under a heavy weight, and you know what that burden or that weight may be. Father, I pray that if it's a weight of sin and condemnation, Lord, that they would come and receive the pardon and forgiveness that Jesus offers through His blood on the cross. I pray, Lord, for the believer who may be struggling with a sorrow or a doubt. I pray that you may give them a word of life. You may give them encouragement and strength this morning. And God, we pray for all of us that you may pour out the power of the Holy Spirit. That we may walk with you. Lord, in a new and a living way, not under our own power, but under your power. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. As we stand and sing, if you're here this morning, maybe the Lord has spoken to you. I would invite you to come here to the altar. I'll be glad to pray with you. do you want to make a decision, I'll be glad to help you make that decision. Or maybe you just want to come pray on your own. You just obey the Holy Spirit as we sing.